0: This morning, as we continue our series called The Bright Golden Line, we're going to read a passage from the book of Genesis. Again, this is the story of Jacob and his brother Esau. But for our passage this morning, we're actually going to go farther into the text. You have to imagine that this is the night before many years of being estranged from his brother Esau. Jacob is being preparing to go home. So here are these words from the book that God has given us. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jacob. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Penel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Penel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. So far the reading of God's holy and inspired word, let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord, amen. So the way that Jacob becomes Israel and the way that that becomes the name for all his descendants, the Israelites, you've just heard that story To get a full perspective on it, though, make sure you understand that this is nearing the end of all the cycle of Jacob's stories in Genesis, that there has been a long story before it of him from his home, from his birthplace with his father Isaac, his brother Esau, going into a land uh, owned by a man named Laban, who is both his father-in-law and his uncle. I know it's the ancient world. Get over it. Uncle and father-in-law. And after all the cycles there with Laban, now, at this moment, he is looking both back at Laban and at Esau and forward to Esau again. There's a companion story to this, though. Back at the beginning, when Jacob was first leaving his homeland and leaving his brother Esau for the first time, in the night, while he falls asleep, he has a dream And in that dream he sees a ladder and he sees angels walking up and down this ladder and then he hears the voice of God saying, no matter what happens, Jacob, I'm going to be with you. I say that's a companion piece because if you heard in this story, Jacob was on his way leaving Esau to Laban. Now he's leaving Laban, going back to Esau. And this time it's not God's voice, but there is a man who never will give Jacob his name. But since the the man says that you have prevailed against God, it seems that perhaps this is a divine representative of God. In both of these moments, these transitional moments, Jacob first leaving Esau to go to Laban, now leaving Laban to go back to Esau, there is this moment with God. And this time around, he walks away limping, prevailing, but scarred. When I use our words of assurance this morning, it came from the Apostle Paul saying, you are all children of Abraham, and understand that Jacob is Abraham's grandson. And this is why all Jacob's descendants become Israelites, but why also we as Christians need to recognize the metaphor that is true for all of us in this life, too, when we read this story. We are leaving something, we are going forward, and even in that going forward, we will leave something behind and have to look back. Life is a series of leavings and returnings, and in the middle of it we wrestle with God and with each other. It is probably the most appropriate name that God could ever give God's people, but to be the ones who wrestle with each other and wrestle with God. What we've done, what we left undone. What we've said, what we've left unsaid. The work of sanctification in our lives, of the becoming, is living with the good and the bad of our past and trying to learn from it and to be different, to first clothe ourselves with Christ and then somehow having those clothes be our own. The Bright Golden Line was an idea, again, that came from the 12-step programs. The idea that there are certain things you need to hold on to, that in the midst of darkness you need to see and hold on to, no matter what, the person who suggested that we tell this story again saw something in this story for it. What I think is at the heart of this story, and again, it's, it's family dysfunction put on display for us to write our own stories into, to see the metaphors that exist in our own lives. But from those AA programs, those 12-step 12, 12 programs, the one that I think matches this story very well, that we can learn something from is step four. Step four in AA goes like this. Make a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself. To tell Jacob's story and Esau's stories and Laban's story and all these other characters that happen in Genesis to get it all in one place, I want you to imagine this night of wrestling with the man, this divine representative, as that moment when Jacob does the very scary thing, the very real thing of making a moral inventory of everything that has gone wrong in the past and now has to look forward to dealing with it. It's the only way to restore sanity in Jacob's life. It's the only way to restore sanity in our lives is to also deal with our own history. It is about resentment and confession, analysis our own fears, our shame, our guilt. In fact, that is how the fourth step goes. There, I'm sure there's lots of approaches to it, but it starts with asking the question, what do you resent in your life? So think about Jacob. What does he re- resent about his past at this moment when he wrestles the man? Actually, let's begin with the most recent history of Jacob's life, Laban. All right, so like I said, Laban is his, both his father-in-law and his uncle. What happens is is that when Jacob leaves his family the first time, when he is running away from his brother Esau, and we'll explain that in a little bit, but when he's on the run, he gets told by his mother to go to her brother named Laban. When he gets to Laban's land, he is at a well, and he drinks water and All the great love stories of the Bible happen at wells. If you didn't know that, remember it. All the great love stories in the Bible happen at the well. But Jacob is at the well drinking water, and he meets a young woman named Rachel, who happens to be Laban's daughter. So yes, they are cousins. But he falls in love with Rachel. And so on the run from his brother Esau, he goes to Laban. He offers and makes a deal with Laban. He says, this young woman, your daughter, Rachel, I I love her already. I will come and I will work for you for seven years. I will work for you for seven years. And then when those seven years are up, let us get married. Laban agrees. Jacob can come and work for him for seven years and they will get married. He, Jacob and Rachel will get married at the end. Where's the resentment in Jacob for this story? Well, it's what happens next. Because at the end of the seven years, after successfully doing what he said he would do, Laban pulls a fast one on him. The night of the wedding, and this is the ancient world wedding, so there isn't a ceremony per se, but there is a big feast, and everybody gets together and eats and dances and enjoys life together for a day or more. And at the end of that day, Laban has managed to get Jacob drunk. And so that night, when the consummation of the wedding would have taken place, it's Laban who sneaks his older daughter, Leah, into Jacob's tent. And so in the morning, Jacob is not married to Rachel, who he's been working for for seven years. He's married to her older sister, Leah. And so there's another deal that is struck with Laban. Rachel can become his second wife, but again, he has to work for Laban for seven years. On the night of the moral inventory, when Jacob has to wrestle with God and with man, and he is remembering everything, if he resents Laban, it's having to double the amount of time it took for him to be able to marry his beloved Rachel. But with Laban, that's not the end of the story, because with Laban, there's also finally at the end of those 14 years, a deal, another deal that is struck... Jacob comes to Laban and says, you were poor when I got here. It's because of me that there's all this wealth. Look at these flocks you now own. You own all these sheep that were not here before. We need to strike a deal that I get to leave now with my wives and children, but I wanna take part of what I've earned. So they make this sort of ancient world deal And you have to understand these are shepherds and they understand something about the flocks. But they make this deal that Jacob can walk among the sheep and he gets to pick out of them all the speckled sheep. All the ones who are just straight up white, fluffy sheep, those get to stay with Laban, but Jacob gets to take the speckled ones. And then what Laban does is, before that gets to take place, after they've agreed on that, he sends his sons out to the sheep herd and he separates all the speckled sheep, and takes them out into the country with his own sons, so that when Jacob walks through, there are no speckled sheep left. Resentment. Jacob has a long list to be resentful to, it's not just Laban. The reason Jacob had to run away in the first place was his brother Esau, who is his twin brother born at almost the same time, but born moments before Jacob, because of that, he is considered the firstborn. Esau is supposed to get all the blessings and all the birthrights of the family, and Jacob is supposed to get nothing. He resents Esau because Esau is this big brute of a man, hairy, all over the place, quick to respond to all of his desires and needs, and yet he's going to get everything, while Jacob, who is the smarter kid, the bookish kid who stayed at home, is supposed to get what? Not even half. He resents Esau. He resents his father Isaac. Because Esau being the oldest and being the one who likes to go out and hunt and who likes to be the man's man of the family, his father Isaac loves Esau more. He resents his mother, Rebecca. Rebekah always loved Jacob more. But... It's Rebecca and her motivations that get him thrown out of the family home. See, what happens is, is yes, there's this tension. Isaac uh, resents Esau and re- resents I- uh, Isaac and Esau, but it's Rebecca's plan to steal that birthright, that first son's birthright from Esau. And the blessing that, the blessing that comes with it, it's her plan. It's her pushing Jacob followed throughs on Rebekah's plan. Here's what happens is there should have been a blessing before a man dies that he would give to his children. And of course the oldest son would get the blessing of all the herds and all the cattle, the inheritance. Rebekah wants it to go to Jacob, not Esau. And so Rebekah comes to Jacob and says, go into your father, wear Esau's clothes, put on your hands sheep wool, Esau's a really hairy guy. And she says, your father Isaac has been going blind. He won't be able to see this very well. You can pull off pretending to be Esau. He'll give you the blessing instead of Esau. That's exactly what happens. Jacob goes in and Isaac is a little bit blind now. And he wants to give Esau the blessing. He hears the voice. He thinks, he goes, that sounds like Jacob, come closer. Jacob, come closer. And Isaac smells him. Oh, you smell like Esau. Then he takes his hand and goes, Oh, you've got hair on your hands like Esau. And so he blesses him. He gives him everything. When Esau comes home, goes and visits Jacob, finds out what's happened, this is why Jacob has to run. He has just stolen everything from Esau. So yes, Jacob resents his mother. And if for no other reason that Jacob has to go on the run, Rebecca doesn't go with him. Rebecca sets all this stuff in motion and it's Jacob who pays for it. And by the way, by running away even though he got the blessing, he got nothing of what Rebecca thought he would get. Jacob has a lot to resent. All the people in his lives in his life are the people who have also helped ruin his life and make it harder. Even his wives, Leah and Rachel, two sisters, guess how well that goes when two sisters are married to the same man. They don't get along very well anywhere in the story. Poor Jacob, right? Step four, that make a fearless moral inventory of ourselves does start with our resentments in places where we think that we've been wronged. So Jacob stands there wrestling the man in the night and all those memories are there. When he has to walk away from Laban, go home to Esau, sure. Every hurt that he's ever carried with him, I'm sure is right there in that wrestling. But you know, step four is not just about naming how everyone else has harmed you. The next step after you've named that, and this is where it gets harder. This is why step four is one of the hardest steps in AA. The next question Jacob has to answer is, what have you done to contribute to these stories? See the wrestling? If we can spend our lives just blaming someone else for everything that goes wrong, there's no wrestling in that. But the wrestling comes from recognizing that we were active participants in our whole life, the whole time. Jacob resents Laban. Jacob got drunk. That's how Laban was able to sneak Leah into his tent instead of Rachel. That's what led to seven more years. Sure, Laban tried to get all the, the speckled sheep out of the herd. But you know what? Jacob had it figured out. He knew Laban. He knew Laban was going to be up to something. You know what he did? What I'm about to describe is some really bad genetics. Okay, We know this is not really how this works. But Jacob went to the flock and what he did was he watered them, meaning he brought them to the water troughs. And apparently that is also when sheep got together at the water troughs. He knew that's also when they would uh, make new baby sheep. And so he does this ancient world thing where he would, he's put a a kind of a stick in the ground. And they believed or thought uh, that if this happened, if the procreation happened in the midst of this particular setup, that all the sheep who would be born would be speckled and not pure white. Bad genetics, right? I mean, it it hardly makes sense to what we know about how you get speckled sheep. But in the ancient world, this is what they thought happened. And what do you know? When those sheep are born, every baby-born sheep is, in fact, speckled. So when, when Jacob has to leave, when he's running away from Laban, it turns out he did get a healthy young flock of sheep to go with it also means though by playing this game against Laban who is playing a game with him but by playing this game you know what happens next Jacob is running away again Laban doesn't trust Jacob Jacob doesn't trust Laban and it's Jacob who has to run away in the night Laban catches up and they are able to To create peace. Not a a good peace. Not a genuine reconciliation. But enough peace that Jacob can go on his way with his flocks and his wives and his children without Laban doing anything. But it certainly doesn't mean that Laban is on his side. He leaves a lot of hurt behind him. Laban helped create it. And so did he. And that's the point. Laban hurt him. But he hurt Laban back as well. Jacob also didn't have to lie to his father. He didn't have to listen to his mother. He didn't have to steal Esau's blessing. By the way, one of the things that we often do when we tell the resentments of our past is we tell about the hurts, only the hurts that someone else did to us. In this moment, Jacob would also need to tell the story where before he stole the blessing, where he went in and got blind Isaac to bless him. He also did steal another part of that, which is the birthright. Earlier, what had happened was Jacob was at home making dinner. And Esau being Esau, sort of this big brute of a man, came in going, I'm starving, I'm starving, I'm starving. Feed me, Jacob, you've made all this food. And Jacob says to him, all right, I'll give you stew, the stew that I've made, if you sell me your birthright for it. And so Esau being sort of big, dumb brute, and so hungry, goes, okay, okay, okay. The resentment with Esau and his brother and his mother did not start when Rebecca got Jacob to steal the blessing. It started when Jacob stole the birthright. The next question you have to ask in the midst of recognizing not only that you've been hurt, but that other people have hurt, you have been the one who has done the hurting, is to recognize that question How is that working for you? You can't change unless you deal with how you're reacting to certain situations, what you've contributed to them. So you can name the hurt, you've got to name yourself, and you've got to see what's right and wrong about your behavior. The games that this family is playing. The ways that they are all out for their own interests. If there's one thing you need to notice about the story of Jacob wrestling the man in the night, it comes from this line. After Jacob is preparing, right? He's preparing to go back to Esau. He has sent his wives, his children ahead of him. Sort of separating them out, making sure that they're safe, because he's got to go back to Esau, who he hasn't seen in a very long time. He's managed to get away from Laban, but he doesn't know what Esau is going to come in the morning with Esau. And there's a passage earlier where it says that Esau has found out that Jacob is on his way home, and that spies have already told him, told Jacob that Esau is going to meet him with 400 men in the morning. So yes, he gets rid of his wives, he gets rid of his children, he sends them off to a safe place. But here's the line. In all these games, and all this preparation, all these ways people are watching out for themselves, Jacob was left alone. When you look back and you look forward to the people who have hurt you and to the people that you have hurt, when you take a moral inventory of what they've done wrong and what You've contributed to it. The story is the same for all of us. We're alone. In every dysfunctional family, in every hurt that's never healed, in every unnamed thing that we don't take responsibility for ourselves, what ends up happening when that happens over and over and over again with everyone in our lives is that line. Jacob was left alone. In the wrestling with the man of that night, That is what he is wrestling with. He's even doing the right thing to protect his wives and children, but that does not mean that anybody is by his side. It's not Esau, it's not Isaac, it's not Rebekah, it's not Laban. He's alone. And cycles repeat. Remember when we did Joseph a couple weeks ago, I did the sermon on, on on Joseph. Remember who his dad is? It's Jacob. After what happens with Esau, what comes next in the story, then we move on to Joseph. And the cycles repeat. Brothers who don't get along, brothers who hurt each other, people who resent each other. Take a moral inventory of yourself. I'd like to tell you that in the story of Jacob and Esau, the next thing that happens... I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to save it for a future story, for a future sermon. But know this. It's really important to wrestle in the night with God and with each other enough that it should become your name, Israel. I'm not sure that Jacob ever completed the cycle of step four of AA. Yes, he could have named the hurt His own hurts could have said whether or not that's working for him or not. It's not. That's how he ends up wrestling an angel in the night. The next step, by the way, would have been admitting what you're actually ashamed of. I wish the story of Esau and Jacob reuniting could authentically be told as Jacob doing something about what he's ashamed of. not sure it fits that way, but we'll talk about it later. But in it, that's the parable for us, isn't it? Recognizing that we will all end up being alone if we can't deal with the hurts to us and from us. For today, though, what I want you to remember is a few things. One, own that name, Israel As seed of Abraham, as the Apostle Paul would say it, we too are the Israelites who wrestle with God and with each other. We go on the road knowing that God is with us always, but then also knowing that we have to deal with everything that has come before us because everything that is behind us is also in front of us. Be fearless in it. We keep being told in the Gospels, fear not. Then be fearless. They say taking that moral inventory of yourself is the scariest step in AA. And I'm certain it is. Because who wants to admit all the things they've done wrong? And who would still be loved if you confessed them to someone else? But you know what? We've all done it. We've all been there. And there's someone willing to listen. Let the church be the place where you practice that. I don't mean that we come to church and we lay out every... horrible bad thing we've ever done but you know we do every week even in pandemic have a prayer of confession every week so that we can hear words of assurance so that we can be reminded by god what our ministry is which is the summary of the law to love our neighbor it's a process through that it's not everything we don't come here to lay it all out in a big public way But we practice getting good at knowing it's going to be okay to confess. Because God is always with us. And even if we have to wrestle with God and with ourselves, we will get up, we will prevail. We might be limping, we might have scars, but that's okay. Even Jesus has scars. It's what you do with them. It's how you live after them. It's how they get healed. So be fearless. Own the name. Practice. And then looking forward to the next chapter, Esau and Jacob, what's coming for them in their story and what comes for all of our stories when we have to go back to go forward is to remember that the kingdom of God by Jesus was defined by reconciliation. Reconciliation with God and with each other. Jacob's on his way. I look forward to the chance that we get to tell that story where he meets Esau and we see what worked and what didn't work. But know that we get told these stories by a God who knows us and sees us. There's nothing God doesn't already know. We don't confess because God needs to find out. We confess because we need to find out. We can get stuck in our resentments forever on someone else hurting us, but we need to get to the place where we can name how we've hurt as well. It's the only way to restore sanity. So keep that as a bright golden line. Be proud of the name Israel. Be fearless in your confession. Allow the church to be the place that helps you do it. And set an eye towards a future called the kingdom of God where you will be reconciled with God and with each other, even if you walk away limping. Let us pray. Grant us, O Lord God, a vision of your world as your love would have it. A world where the weak are protected and none go hungry or suffer under poverty. A world where the sick are made well and the sorrowful find comfort A world where the riches of creation are shared and everyone can enjoy them. A world where different races and cultures live in harmony and mutual respect. A world where peace is built with justice and justice is guided by love. A world where shalom is defined by kindness and where kindness demands shalom. Give us the inspiration and courage to follow your spirit into the here and now for the sake of the eternal where we joyfully and gratefully accept the invitation into your kingdom as it has already come and into the kingdom as it has yet to come. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. For in him we live and move and have our being. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, and go in peace.